Welcome to Emmaus Way. Thanks, Suze and band. 
Join me now in the call to gather. You all will respond in bold. This Lenten season, we've traveled into the abyss of absence. We've felt the ache left behind, the loss of power, home, control, order, convention, voice, and belief. Yet on this day, we know and see a renewed presence because God maintains hope amidst the abyss of absence and death. Alleluia, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Again, welcome to Emmaus Way Easter. We are so glad you are here. Um, if you are new to Emmaus Way, we are a community captivated by the gospel trying to live into that captivation and wonder together. Um, if you are wanting to know a bit more about us, on the back table, there are yellow cards that you can fill out to find out a bit more about us. You could also talk to anyone in this room and they would happily share about the community. On the back table as well, there's also our metallic bowl, where if you would like, you can um, drop in a contribution. And I believe both Kyle and Clinton have announcements, which I imagine may have something to do with the metallic bowl. Yes. Um, so, yeah, the, I just have the announcement about our year-to-date fiscal giving. Um, it's $80,141, which is around 75% of our budget. Um, I don't have that exact number on me. And then, uh, so far in April, um, so that, that was through... Um, yeah, 414. So far in April, we received $5,410. So that is making progress towards our goals. Great. Thanks so much, Clinton. Kyle? Um, and so I'll just, I'll just try and project. So this Tuesday at 7.30 at Old City Cider Works, we're having a conversation about sustainability and investment in a base way. So this is not just about money, obviously we're in budget season and so that's part of it, always part of it, but we're just talking, we're talking about time, resources, and money as we go forward into the next year and as the team is forming the next budget. And so uh, if you call this your home, uh, your community, please consider joining us on Tuesday. Super low pressure, casual, 7.30 to 9-ish, um, unless people Thanks so much, Kyle. Any other announcements for the good of the cause this day? Anything that? Okay. We now um, believe the kids are going to go out for an exciting Easter egg. We're gonna go upstairs first. They're going upstairs first. I will not give away the surprise. Oh no, you did. That's okay. okay. And it wasn't a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> they used it when they walked in. <laughs> <laughs> I have to uh, So yeah, we should do that right this second. Anyway, we have to sing Hallelujahs because we haven't sung them. They're going to sing the Hallelujahs because they haven't sung them very well. So we will see the kids later on. <laughs> we now are going to communally um, engage in a ritual that has shaped Emmaus Way from the very beginning. This liturgy of light 
that we recite and proclaim together Easter after Easter. Again, Ben and I will be reading the non-bolded parts and the community will join us for the bolded sections. We come to this place seeking news of a risen Jesus and the familiar story of our faith. Meet us here, O living Christ, and surprise us with resurrection power and light in all the places of our lives. We gather together to sing and pray the story we know by heart. A story of loving triumph and powerful grace, the story of Alleluia offers great joy for the living one and all those who witness Christ's new life at work in all of our lives. We rejoice, we rejoice and thank you for the life of your Son, resurrected by the power of your loving, vibrant Spirit. Let the same Spirit fill all the places of our lives, that we may know the truth of resurrection fully and forever. The light of Christ. Thanks be to God. Let us bless the light and the one who gives the light to us. Let us open ourselves to the illumination it offers. Let us blaze with this generous fire. As we draw near to this marvelous and holy flame, let us pray for the grace to sing the worthy praise of this great light through Jesus Christ's God's Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with God in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. How blessed is this day when earth and heaven are joined and humanity is reconciled to God. As we open our own mouths, fill our lungs with the air of this new day, let us hear its blessing break forth in our own voices, circling back again, calling us to repeat it ever louder how it draws us, pulls us, sends us to proclaim its only word. Risen, risen, risen. Holy One, accept our alleluias, accept our joy, accept the offering of this candle in your honor. May it shine continually to drive away all darkness. May its light overwhelm our old expected notions of God, Jesus, Spirit, and may the ever-burning light allow us to celebrate this truly good news. Christ lives and reigns forever and ever, giving light to all creation, placing new possibilities ever before us. Amen. Well, it's good to see you here. Um, we have been, as most of you know, perhaps, probably not all, uh, meditating on absence through Lent, uh, and that has taken us through questions of missing the comforts of home and convention and uh, feeling powerless and all sorts of ways that we've named the absences that during Lent and, and always um, exist in our lives. And so here we are at Easter, having reclaimed um, that space back and sitting in the question of what does resurrection this day, particularly having gone through that reflection, mean to us? And so as we've started doing more regularly, I'd ask you, yeah, to share a bit about that. Coming in today, this Easter season, having reflected as we have through Lent, what does resurrection this day mean to you? Um, I'm part of a small, kind of close-knit community, and there was a, a rift, like mm -hmm. a, a, piece, a place of brokenness, and I was on a walk with one of the members of the community, 
community day and they just happened to share that they had gone to the person with whom there was a rift and apologized. Which just felt really far away a long time ago. Or months back. So it just felt yeah. What a good what a good day for you know a, a place of brokenness to be mended. Christine? This is not my idea. I have, I have a dear friend, a uh, dear friend from college, um, who we basically keep in touch at this point via Facebook. Um, she lives like in the West Coast. And she posted about, about Easter, and she's, um, she's really distraught about the fact that Rachel Helen Evans is very sick. Um, so she's, she's very, she was definitely the activist one in college. Um, and what she wrote about Easter that just felt really profound was the story of the resurrection is that the worst thing that happens is not the end. And that just feels really profound. That the worst thing possible is not the last thing. And so, perhaps to Anyone else? It's the name or claim a piece of the resurrection for yourself. So I have an inadequate thought. But those are the best. <laughs> They're certainly the most numerous. Um, <laughs> it's, it's building up on what Christine said. And um, so I, I think I know less and less about resurrection as I, as I get older. And, but the one thing that I hold on to is that um, what, what I read, what I understand the resurrection is that death is not the final word. Um, I can't tell you what the final word is. Life, I can say life, but what, what I would describe as life uh, and what that life is like, I'm, I'm less certain of. I think we have lots of clues about what life is in this world. Um, and it involves things like forgiveness and humility and, and things that we read that, that we're encouraged to in, in the gospel. Um, but how they manifest after a physical death, I'm less certain of. All I know is that death is not the last word. Those are, thank you. It's a great, lovely, and thoughtful reflections to take with us uh, further into this marking of a resurrection. Um, I, would, I just want to say we're going to pass the piece. Uh, two things. One, we haven't done this for weeks. Um, if you have been coming on Sundays through Lent, you had like one of the absences we took on was a lot of different things about what's what become normal to us in our worship gathering. We shifted around in terms of sound and the, the arrangement of our space and passing the peace and snacks. And so all those things are back in some way today. Um, and so, yeah, you have that to enjoy. But the other thing I want to say is someone who was with us throughout Lent is still with us, Suze. Um, and yay, yeah. And, and, and she played all by herself for weeks upon weeks. And finally assembled some people to come with her, and also, while she was playing by herself on Sunday, she was gathering with the Mayasway people during the week, I think almost always on Sunday morning, and those 
that songwriting class has borne fruit, and we heard three of those songs uh, at Monday Thursday, and we're going to hear one more when we come back from the passing of the peace. This was to, to note that Sousa's time in our midst as our artist in residence for Lent has been a very fruitful time, so we're excited to be culminating that this Easter Sunday. But with that, I would say pass the peace of Christ to each other, introduce yourself to someone you don't know. There is like water and snacks, and we're going to have like a proper potluck later, but I'm sure you could probably pick off some of it now if, if you know, you really wanted to do that. So welcome, greet each other, pass the peace. We'll be back shortly.
not out of the hymnal. <laughs> you got to start to get creative. Um, I'm sorry, I'm suffering from a... You know when your guitar decides to break just right in the middle of the first song? Um, so yeah, so we kind of uh, threw a wide net looking for songs that can kind of express this feeling um, that we finally get to come to on Easter morning. Uh, this idea that yeah, there is like there's possibility um, that that the worst thing that's happening is not is not the end. And um, I really love uh, this Patty Griffin song and Love Throw Line. Um, I think that's like a beautiful sort of like mental image of what like Jesus's presence on earth might look like. You know, just like throwing a line, uh, trying to give a, give us a little something to work with. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, Love Throw Line. Let's write a story of a 
We run out of love. We run out of dates. We run out of games. Hundred miles away from the station. There's a war and a plague. Smoke and disaster. Lions in the Coliseum. Screams of a laughter. She says if I leave before 
smiling like our sleeping children. One of us will die inside these arms. But that's a song that um, most of your friends and family did not hear at their Easter services if they found themselves at one. Um, but thanks, Suze and Band, for indulging me and in playing that one. Would someone read our text for today? Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb bringing the fragrant spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They didn't know what to make of this. Suddenly, two men were standing beside them in gleaming, bright clothing. The women were frightened, bowed their faces toward the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here but he has been raised. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the human one must be handed over to sinners, be crucified on the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. When they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Their words struck the apostles as an idle tape, and they didn't believe the women. But Peter ran to the tomb. When he bent over to look inside, he saw only the linen cloth. He returned home wondering what had happened. Thanks, Jim. I've never been present for a birth before. To use the phrase from Luke's gospel, it seems like an idle tale. An event spoken of as though all people should remember what it's like. But an intense beauty many of us struggle to fully understand. And yet when I've looked into the eyes of every new parent in this community, weary, astonished, wondered, filled, loving eyes stare back at me. And while it still seems like an idle tale for me, I catch a glimpse. Out of nothingness, out of the depths of a darkened womb, breaks forth naked flesh, new life, abounding hope, magnificent possibility. In the beginning, we were all naked, weren't we? Even the stories of our faith tell us in the beginning humanity was naked in the garden. Yet nakedness, our very bodies, are often something to be ashamed of, feared, 
unwanted. Certain bodies in our society are idolized, objectified, commodified, tortured, and killed. And bodies themselves seem so taboo. Really, just living, just being a living, breathing human made in the image of God, taking up space is often too much for society. And so from the beginning, we've clothed ourselves in literal clothing, yes. But we also bind ourselves in fabrics of grief, doubt, unwantedness, otherness, fear, piety, pride, self-righteousness, hubris, and power, to name a few. We've clothed and continue to clothe ourselves in these things as a way to oppress, demoralize, judge, size up bodies, all bodies, somehow thinking this clothing would save us. And yet it is the clothing, Jesus' grave clothes of linen cloth left behind in the tomb on Easter morn. What if the heart of the resurrection the very hope and possibility of God is to remind us we were never to have been clothed to begin with. But it's only an idle tale, right? Put another way by public theologian Nadia Bowles-Weber, see, Easter in the Bible may be the greatest story ever told. It's just not the story we usually choose to tell because it's not a story about new dresses and baskets and flowers and candy and spiffiness. Really, it's a story about flesh and dirt and bodies and confusion. And it's about the way God never seems to adhere to our expectations. Though they were told by Jesus this resurrection thing was going to happen for the disciples, Women and men alike, expectations were not met on that first Easter. Peering into that tomb, expecting one thing but finding another. Expecting the way it was to be, the way it actually would be. Expecting a dead, clothed Jesus, yet finding only the clothing remnants. Leading one to believe he just might be alive and naked too? Somehow, on that early morning out of the depths of a darkened tomb, God breaks forth flesh, new life, the resurrected Christ, weary, astonished, wondered-filled, loving eyes and all, abounding with hope and magnificent possibility, free from the bondage of grave linen cloth. But... Do we really want an alive and naked Christ, literally or even metaphorically? Naked bodies aren't exactly welcome in our society after about age three or so, I think. Because naked bodies, especially metaphorically naked bodies, break out of societal expectation and oppression, showing us there is, in fact, a different way, a freer way. More often than not, naked, free bodies push too many boundaries for us because these very bodies remind us 
the way things are are not the way things should be. Those naked and free bodies reveal the kingdom of God as it should be, liberating and full of boundless love and possibility. We don't always want to be reminded of the invitation of the kingdom of God, the invitation to vulnerability, proximity, and liberation over power, certainty, and individualization. And so those naked and free bodies get pushed to the side, decentered, de-emphasized, destructed. If we're being honest, unless it's a baby's naked body coming out of the womb, many of us don't exactly want them in our orbit. We'd rather see bodies in fine linen cloth. And if we're truthful, or at least if I'm truthful, I would rather be neatly wrapped in that fine linen cloth that keeps me safe than be messily naked and alive. For messy and alive is vastly uncomfortable and unpredictable. The resurrection, though, is anything but comfortable. Because of how the resurrection causes discomfort, it seems to us an idle tale. A tale we want to too easily dismiss or passively ignore, but even though, and maybe even because it's uncomfortable, the resurrection story has space for wonder, absurdity, and disbelief. Easter is not about right resurrection doctrine. It's in part simply about being open to wonder. It is out of Peter's wonder he goes to the tomb to see if what the women told him might really be true. And all Peter finds are some clothes left behind. And the linen was the expected way to make meaning out of death and despair. It symbolized ritual and respect, a patterning of this world toward death. But that is not the pattern of a resurrected world. What does it mean for us, a people captivated by the gospel, that it was clothing left behind in this Lucan account of Easter morning? Not Jesus, not right belief, but clothing. Perhaps the clothing means there is in fact a resurrected God of messy, naked living not neat and tidy death. And so this resurrected God invites us to leave the grave linen clothing of our own lives, the stifling patterns of this world, and the oppressive systems of which we are bound and of which we are a part. To leave the things we wear, both literally and metaphorically, to protect, to shield, to cover, to condemn in the darkest of tombs. This resurrected God who leaves the clothing in the tomb shows us it's more than okay to be a naked, free, resurrected people. Yet too often, the principalities and powers hold our bodies, our very lives, captive, telling us to be a people of constraint, of convention, of power, of order, of status, of hate, of right belief. That reality is what killed Christ. That reality is what killed over 200 in Sri Lanka this morning. And that reality is what still kills far too many bodies in our society that are not white, cisgendered, heteronormative, 
thin, educated, or wealthy. But through the resurrection, this resurrected nakedness, this freedom from our grave clothes, our living God offers us a different way. We're offered vulnerability yet freedom, exposure yet possibility, the already but the not yet, for it is in the very spaces of nakedness, literal and figurative, as we leak, weep, sweat, and open our human body for the aching world, that we remember static security is not the heart of our faith, but rather the heart of faith is mutable and morphing and alive. Isn't that what makes new life breaking forth into this world so miraculous? Isn't that what so many of your weary, astonished, wondered-filled, loving eyes staring back at me reveal? You know it to be true. It is in the living, leaking, weeping, sweating, opening of bodies alongside God and one another. New life, abounding hope, magnificent, mutable, morphing possibility breaks forth naked, vulnerable body, and all. Both seem like an idle tale, birth and resurrection. And yet the love of God, ever present in wombs and in tombs, invites us to be a people wonder-filled enough to believe this idle tale just enough that we'd risk leaving our own individual and collective grave clothes of death, death, grief, skepticism, loneliness, self-doubt, otherness, fear, piety, pride, self-righteousness, hubris, oppression, hate, and power in the tomb this Easter. The very love of God, ever-present, ever-creating, ever-bringing forth life out of nothingness, shows us how to remove the clothes of the grave, rolls away the stone, and beckons us to step out. Astonished and terrified, yes, but also alive, naked, and free. Thanks be to God. So I got to pick the Easter hymn. This is my favorite one. the rains 
praise for the sweetness of the wet garden sprung in completeness where his feet pass mine is the Methodist Church this morning, and uh, what they're doing right now in the main lines is they're saying, if you would rise, either in body or in spirit. Um, but I feel like we uh, have an excellent invitation here on the floor to stand. Um, so if it would feel good to you to stand up on Easter uh, and sing a Bob Dylan song, <laughs> this is it. Trains leaving the station. Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times with your pen and keep your eyes wide the chance won't come again and just too soon for the wheels still in spin and there's no telling who that is naming for the loser now will later to win for the time Senators, congressmen, please heed the call. Don't stand in the doorway, don't block up the hall. For he who gets hurt will be he who has stalled. There's a battle outside and it's raging. It'll soon shake your windows and rattle your walls for the times they are. daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one. If you can't lend a hand for the times, they are a-changing. 
can sit down. That's what standing up is for, so you can sit down again. Here we are again, six weeks and one Lent later, the ashy dust of ash, Wednesday mostly worn from memory, assorted reflections on absence set aside, dark tidings of Good Friday dispersed. We're back here with Sunday customs, back, table set, feast at the ready. It is Easter. It's another Easter to Maya Sway, big band, sparkling wine, and all. It's another Easter for many of us in an unremarkable, unrememberable line of Easter Sundays, full of loving family and cultural trappings and draped and awkward theologizing, theologizing, however you'd say that word, mostly, thankfully, shrugged off by now. And yet, we're back. The light of Christ rekindled one Easter homily, and we return this week as every week to gather ourselves around a simple practice rooted in idle tales. God come to earth, Jesus' broken body and shed blood, bread and wine, and the ever-present love of God, ever inviting, ever creating, ever insisting that we can come here and be whole, come here and be new, come here and be free, come here and be one. Easter and always, we hang a lot on this table. Easter and always, I'd readily forgive you if you dismiss most of the flowery things I say about what this table is to God and what it is for us. Easter especially, we might be forgiven in the crumbling social fabric of our culture, Jewish neighbors, religious baggage, increasing post-churchiness, and all for asking how much sense it makes to keep hanging so much on a resurrected Jesus, on this table, on all that comes with it. And then we get to the question of bodies. And I don't know, two years in, newborn bodies seem like a pretty big deal to me. Two years in, standing again and again in circles with folks who've lost one of those same bodies, bodies are a pretty big deal. All the tidy narratives and platitude, narratives, platitudes, all the, all the explanations, we can wrap it up as neatly as you please, but you get close to a body. And it's different. There's something there. And I wonder if this table story of a God who enters our bodily suffering has something to say. If, if a resurrected Jesus has a particular work to do among us, Today, perhaps it's to remind us that we are alive. We're not some neatly wrapped thing. You are a messy, beautiful, alive thing. 
naked as you came, minus the achievement, knowing resources that feel like your greatest gifts to the world, you are alive. You are the stuff of possibility, and it's not just you. Anybody that you can find, the most forsaken, the most distant, and undiscernible, unfigureoutable to you, it is equally true. They, you, we are made of the very same fiery stuff that Clinton had us singing about tonight. The love embodied in this table will throw out a line for every one of those bodies as far away as they can be found. And all this is true as surely as Jesus' broken body and shed blood, as true as the bread you will put in your mouth, and as tangible as the wine and juice you will pour for each other. All things are new. Morning is broken. The times, they are changing. And we do not have to waste our time, as Marie will lead us in the season ahead, on water that is not water and on thirst that is not thirst, because we are bodied and we are alive. And that, all of that, is what we celebrate at this table this Easter Sunday. And so I invite you to this table. If you don't know us, we've, we've done for as long as we've ever been Emmaus Way. We've served each other. We've poured wine and juice for each other. I'm going to get some sparkling wine out of the fridge in a second. And, and we've said the body of, of Christ broken for you and this bread and this gluten-free cracker and the blood of Christ shed for you, believing that coming around as bodied people in a communal way and serving each other is participating in the very remaking, living, powerful work that Jesus inaugurated at his crucifixion and has made a new reality with his resurrection. So that's what I invite you to here, and as soon as you get done there, or in fact, you can go in reverse. We have a lovely Easter Eucharistic potluck that is an extension of this table that shares the same story of abundance and beauty and life and possibility. You are most welcome. Come to the table.